This is the English Heritage Podcast. Hello, and thanks for joining us for your weekly podcast into England's past. I'm Charles Rowe. Coming up, we're at Apsley House, home to the man who defeated Napoleon in the Battle of Waterloo. I think when Wellington bought the house, there was a great euphoria after Waterloo, and everybody was naming things Wellington this, Wellington that, and it probably would have been just a little bit common for him to name his own house Wellington House. We learn about this rather exclusive address. It was also famously known as Number One London because when you came up from the little village of Knightsbridge, this was the first house you passed after the toll gate and it just it was a very popular nickname for the house Number One London. And we visit the arch that bears Wellington's name. More on this war hero's home in a few moments. But first, let's find out what other histories you can hear about soon on the English Heritage Podcast. Ron writes to a relative to say that he thinks that these are possibly the first convalescents to actually come to a country house after leaving hospital. So there's a strong possibility that Rest was maybe the first country house to be used as a hospital during the First World War. In 1821, a New York academic and poet reinvents St Nicholas, known in Dutch as Santa Claus, instead of shortening Nicholas to uh, Nick, the Dutch shorten it to Klaus. Santa Claus. Actually, interestingly, you hear the installation before you see it. When you enter Belsay Hall, you can already hear the music, so you're kind of drawn because of the music. Stay tuned for all those subjects and more in the next few weeks. And don't forget, you can easily go back through our timeline on your podcasts app and download any missed episodes. Now, this week, you join us among the hustle and bustle of London. And we're taking the tube, the Piccadilly line to be precise, to Hyde Park Corner. And that's fitting, really, because just a short distance from the Piccadilly line underground station is 149 Piccadilly, otherwise known as Apsley House. It's a grand residence, a former home of the first Duke of Wellington, who brought an end to Napoleon's wars in Europe, and a treasure trove of beautiful works of art and sculpture. And I'm here to meet English Heritage's keeper of the Wellington collection to find out more. Oh, hello, I'm Josephine Oxley. Welcome to the Apsley House. Come on in. Could you describe firstly the location of Apsley House? And I know we've just come out of a very busy area surrounded by traffic today, but what was the area like when it was first built? Well, it was very quiet and it was on the edge of a big royal park um, and Apsley House was joined on to a big row of houses that stretched all the way up Piccadilly. Today it looks a little bit isolated on an island. It was also famously known as Number One London and that was because when you came up from the little village of Knightsbridge, this was the first house you passed after the toll gate, and it just it was a very popular nickname for the house number one London. But really we are 149 Piccadilly, which is a bit more boring, but Okay. Well should we head outside just quickly and yeah. try and get a sense of what okay. it looked like in the past? Once you've opened the door, it's almost like you have gone to yeah. uh, the future. So of course it would have been a lot quieter. And over on the island there is the Wellington Arch. Now, we'll go to the Wellington Arch later. But when this house was first built, 
obviously there was nothing there. And then in 1823, they built the arch, but they didn't build it there. They actually built it to the right here, just on, on the corner there. And it was a grand entrance into London. So you see the other wonderful arch that separates Clyde Park, the actual park from the corner. Wellington Arch would have been part of that ceremonial route. So there would have been very little when the house was first, first built in the 1770s. There was a big hospital over there, uh, St. George's Hospital, which is now the Lanesborough Hotel. But apart from that, this area didn't really become fashionable until the late 18th century. And then after that, this area was just full of these grand, aristocratic, palatial houses. And Apsley House is now the remaining example of that, where the families still live. So to this day, Apsley House is the home of the Duke of Wellington and his family, and they still live here. And we're the only English heritage where the family, the original family, still live. It's amazing as well that this house has survived, bearing in mind all the developments that have gone up since and the fact that we're surrounded by a road network here. Yeah, and I think that's because the family have always been here and protected the house and the wonderful collection inside. So, you know, it is a fantastic survival. Well, let's go in and enjoy the house and uh, get away from this traffic. such a contrast to come in here, isn't it? It's like stepping into a library. Yeah, it is. Yeah, very, very quiet. Yeah. So why is it called Apsley House? Because we had the Duke of Wellington, the first Duke of Wellington living here. Why doesn't it bear his name? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, the house was built for Lord Bathurst, who later became Baron Apsley, and the house retained his name. And I think when Wellington bought the house, there was a great euphoria after Waterloo, and everybody was naming things Wellington this, Wellington that, Waterloo Place. And it probably would have been just a little bit common for him to name his own house, Wellington House. So he stuck with the original name of the house. When did the Duke of Wellington buy the property? He bought the house in 1817, and he actually bought it from his elder brother, Richard, who had lived here since 1807. It's been a family house since 1807, so it's been the same family living here since 1807, which is remarkable, really. The exterior looks um, similar to cities like uh, Bath and some parts of London. It's got this sort of sandy coloured stone. That's Bath stone. But also it has, a, it has a unique finish. That lovely sort of coppery colour is a special copper wash called copperass, which was put on the house because the original house was red brick. And Benjamin Dean White, who was the first Duke's architect, decided to cover it in Bath stone and add that lovely portico on. Very fashionable at the time to do that. So um, basically behind that is a, is a red brick yeah, absolutely. So yeah. we've still got the red brick and it's a little bit like an onion. You know, you can peel away the skin and there's more and more layers behind of Apsley House because the Robert Adam House was built onto by Benjamin Dean Wyatt. So whereabouts are we standing now, Josephine? We're standing at the bottom of the Grand Staircase and before us is the most wonderful statue of the Emperor Napoleon. It was carved by Antonio Canova, it's one of the finest pieces of neoclassical sculpture in Europe. It shows Napoleon as the god Mars, and it's a really impressive thing and something that you would not expect to see at the bottom of a staircase in a townhouse in London. This is 
vast. It's probably 11, 12 feet, maybe? Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and he's, course, got his, he's got his staff there as well. He's got his that staff. That makes it even taller. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very impressive sculpture. Of course, he's naked, apart from his fig leaf. And he holds in his hands a little statue of the goddess Nike. And she's the symbol of victory. So it's a very impressive thing. But Napoleon hated it. When it arrived in Paris, poor Canova was very dejected because the emperor just rejected it, said it was too athletic and he never wanted it to be put on public display. And then after Waterloo, it was bought from the French by the British government and given to Wellington as a gift. And this is the only place in the house that it could stand. It's an interesting that a reject has sort of then become a hand-me-down for the victor in the Battle of Waterloo. Yeah, but how um, it must have been very pleasing for Wellington to lead his guests upstairs to their grand banquets and balls and entertainments that he held here and passing this fabulous Canova statue, the vanquished emperor. It allows him to bask in the glory of the victory over Napoleon, I suppose. Absolutely, I think there's a big element of that, but people are often surprised when they see how many pictures of Napoleon and the Bonaparte family that we have here. But that wasn't unusual. Wellington had a great deal of respect for Napoleon almost till the very end of his life. Of course, the same couldn't be said of Napoleon to Wellington. (laughs) Napoleon was very derogatory about Wellington's skills. So it sounds like Wellington was a good winner and Napoleon a bad loser. I think so, yeah, but I'm completely biased, so. (laughs) All right, let's move up the stairs, the grand staircase then. Now, when we do a podcast here on the English Heritage Podcast, we're peeling back the layers of time a a lot of the time. And what time period do we find ourselves in as we walk through Apsley House? We find ourselves in the 1830s. The house is very much displayed as it would have been when the Duke finished his refurbishments. Throughout the 1820s, his architect was refurbishing the house, hanging it with all these wonderful paintings, bringing these fabulous objects. So it's very much the feel of the 1830s. And that is the way we display it today. And we've just gone past um, a grand portrait of King George III and also Napoleon Bonaparte, just as we walk into this main room here. And what is this room? This is the red stripe drawing room. And this is probably the most masculine room in the house. It's hung with all his kind of comrades in arms from the Peninsula campaign and the Waterloo campaign. It's a very male dominated room with lots of military paintings and some fabulous paintings of Wellington himself. And of course, the Battle of Waterloo. Let's have a look at the um, Battle of Waterloo painting which is like a widescreen version of a painting. You don't see many of those. It is. It's a fabulous painting by the artist Sir William Allen, a Scottish artist, and he was encouraged by Sir Walter Scott, who was completely obsessed with Wellington and Waterloo, to paint the battle. And so Wellington bought this at exhibition. When he saw it, he famously said, ah, good, not too much smoke, because he didn't like battlefield signs with too much smoke. William Allen had taken a great deal of trouble to get everything correct, and this was probably another reason why Wellington liked it. But the funny thing is, when you look at it, you'll see that we are standing behind the French lines. So the prominent person in this painting is Napoleon on his white horse. And he's still quite small in the grand scheme of things, as we look at it as though it were a widescreen movie shot, shall we say. Yeah, he is, but he's. But your eye is drawn to him because of this wonderful white horse. Everybody else is, is riding brown horses 
resources. And then you have to look very carefully on the horizon. You see all the little red dots, which represents the Allied army at Waterloo. And then finally, you will see up in the left-hand corner of the painting, the Duke of Wellington disproportionately large for the horizon, <laughs> but he's there nonetheless. You can just pick him out. You he's can, in a slightly different colour yeah, from everyone else. He's in a sort of like a navy blue. Or? Very, very distinctive civilian dress, which mm. he always favoured on the battlefield. Grey cloak, his bicorn hat, and his sort of uh, white breeches. So you can pick him out quite easily. And the artist has been bit heavy-handed with the symbolism because if when you look at the painting it has all the gray clouds over napoleon and then the break in the sky and the sun coming through over wellington and this tells you that this is a critical juncture in the battle it's 7 30 in the evening this is the moment when the french realize they are finally defeated so this is why Wellington liked the painting. So although we might think it's very strange that he's chosen a painting where the French are the most prominent people in the painting, this is why it's the moment that, of Napoleon's defeat. How big a victory was it at that time? Because I've heard it was a close-run thing. It was a close-run thing, yes, absolutely. And if it hadn't been for the Prussians arriving, maybe the battle would have been lost, maybe the battle would have gone on to the next day. Who knows? We can't conjecture about that. But the significance of Waterloo is that it was a battle that ended 22 years of warfare. And why Wellington was so famous after it is because it re-established the old order of Europe. And that was a significant thing. So it was a very, very huge victory. And then after it, the Duke of Wellington retired from active service. So it was his last battle. Mm. And it stopped Franco aggression, stopped, stopped Napoleon really in his tracks. Yeah, it did. But the key thing is that in the peace that followed, they were very careful not to completely destroy the French because they also wanted to control the rising power of the Prussians as well. And obviously that turned into something else a little bit later on. Absolutely. And that led really to what happened in 1914. But the, the order of Europe as we know it today was really established after Waterloo. And that's why as well that all the crown heads of Europe were indebted to Wellington and they showered him with magnificent gifts, many of which you can see at Apsley House. So he was the talk of Europe, the toast of Europe. Well, let's have a look at his portrait, shall we? How yeah. many have we got of him here? Oh, we've got quite a lot of portraits of him, but shall we go through to the other room? Because in the Piccadilly room, we have the most iconic portrait of him in let's the have, house. Let's have a look. There aren't that many creaky floorboards here, which is uh, quite nice. And <laughs> oh, the nice, carpets yeah. are very quiet. <laughs> so we've just come, this is the opposite room from where yeah. we were, yeah. on the other side of the main grand staircase. And this is, the Duke of Wellington hanging above a fireplace with his arms folded in his red military jacket and his high-necked shirt, I suppose, in yeah. white. And uh, you've lit it in such a way as that he looks quite 
venerated. Yeah, well, the whole room is lit beautifully and he just happens to be over the fireplace. This is the famous portrait of the Duke of Wellington painted after Waterloo by Sir Thomas Lawrence. And really, even if people don't know much about the Duke of Wellington, they will recognise this portrait. Often if you have a pub called the Duke of Wellington, this is the picture that hangs outside the pub. And of course, it was used in the 1980s on the back of the five pound note. It's a very famous image and it shows him as a real romantic hero. This is the victor of Waterloo. He's got an interesting expression, arms folded, looking out towards the painter who's painting him. Quite stoic, I think, quite proud. Fairly neutral expression, but there's a, there's a little bit of I think there's I'm a, the man of the house yeah, here. I think there's a there's a quiet sort of confidence of him. And, you know, Thomas Lawrence did a lot to romanticise the Duke in his paintings, um, like he did for a lot of his sitters, but I think it was very effective with the Duke of Wellington. Now, the man who's looking at us right now, was he British or Irish? Because he, I've heard he might be Irish. He was Irish. He was born in Dublin. His family were minor Irish aristocrats who had moved to Ireland, possibly in the 17th century. Uh, the family had originally come from Somerset, but they were part of that Irish ascendancy, Protestant ascendancy that moved to Ireland. So he was Irish, definitely, yes. This pose also reminds me of the phrase, the Iron Duke, which I think has become synonymous with the Duke of Wellington. But what does the Iron Duke mean, really? Well, it has nothing to do with his military career. It has to do with the fact that in the early 1830s, when Wellington was in politics and he was against the Reform Act, the Great Reform Act, which would have allowed more people to vote and would have allowed more, more people to be politically franchised, he opposed the Reform Acts. Apsey House was attacked twice by a mob and they smashed windows here. So he put up these iron bars on the ground floor windows and he became known as the Iron Duke. But strangely enough, he supported Catholic emancipation. So there was a little bit of a dichotomy there, but he was very unpopular as a politician. Apparently after his first cabinet meeting, he came out and somebody said to him, well, how did that go, Your Grace? And he said, well, I gave them my orders and then they started questioning them. I don't think he really understood cabinet government. He liked to be in control. So he went from this glorified national hero after Waterloo to being so unpopular. And he only really regained that national popularity when he died and he was given a state funeral and then his popularity just grew after that. So we've had an outline about the life of the Duke mm. of Wellington and also his physical outline in yeah. that portrait. And we can really see as well as we look around with all these paintings hanging around, these furniture and gilding, how he lived. He liked to collect things, I presume, and, and demonstrate his wealth, would you say? Yeah, I think that when he moved into Apsley House, he felt that it needed to be fitting for a duke. This was the space that most people visiting Apsley House would have seen. So for the, his grand banquets and his balls and his great parties, these were the rooms that he threw his parties in. So, of course, he wanted to display his wonderful collection of paintings. And today at Apsley House, we have a fabulous collection of internationally important paintings. So we're very, very lucky. Mm. Um, that there are loads here. of them. Yeah. They are on almost every bit yeah. of wall. But let me take you to probably the most impressive space in the house, and then you'll really see the Duke's wealth. Okay. So we've gone from that 
portrait room to mm. another portrait room, but via another room with yes. portraits in it. Yeah. And there are paintings everywhere. Yeah. And this is the... This is the Waterloo Gallery. So this was the final extension onto the house. It's a, a huge gallery that stretches the whole west side of the house. And as its name implies, it's a place where Wellington could hang some of the best paintings in his collection. So in here, we have paintings by Velasquez. We have Titians. We have Rubens. We have Bruegel. If you want to get to the core of Wellington's collection, this room tells you a lot. It's a huge room. It's like a triple height room with a fabulously decorative ceiling with gilded decoration. The walls are covered in dark red silk. All the window frames are covered with gilding. Fabulous over window decorations, over door decorations. Chandeliers. All gilded. Chandeliers. These fabulous porphyry tour chairs. It's a really opulent room, and this is where Wellington would have done his entertaining. Was it called the Waterloo Gallery then? Yes. But most of these pictures aren't about Waterloo, from what I can see. Oh, no, no, no. His collection, very little to do with Waterloo. I mean, you know, this is a really important collection with lots of Spanish, Dutch, Italian, Flemish, French art. This is uh, a true collector's house. Josephine, you've kindly brought me to the Wellington Arch. Where are we standing now in relation to Apsley House? We're just across the road from Apsley House. If we turn to one side, we can see it. We're in the middle of the traffic island at High Park Corner, one of the busiest traffic islands in Europe. So Apsley House and Wellington Arch are now very much related, but that wasn't always the case. The Wellington Arch is now in the middle of the island, but when it was first built, in 1823 by Decimus Burton. It stood back over towards Apsley House in front of the Hyde Park screen and it was very much as a seen as a kind of ceremonial entrance into London. The traffic round here has always been awful and it was decided because they needed to change the layout of the, the roads. So by the 1880s, this place was very, very busy and they had to deconstruct the whole of the arch and move it to what was thought to be a much better position at the top of Constitutional Hill. And that's where it is today. And um, it's a fabulous thing, but poor old Decimus Burton, um, the project money ran out a little bit. So his original designs for the arch were quite extravagant and he never got to finish it really, although it has beautiful decorated Corinthian columns. It was supposed to have all sorts of sculptures on it and things, and it ended up not having them. I would have been impressed if you hadn't told me that, oh, I have okay. to say. I mean, it, it is a very <laughs> impressive arch. It is, it is. And when it was first built, it was called the Green Park Arch. So it had no association with Wellington. And Hyde Park is behind us. Yeah, Hyde Park is behind us, but behind the arch is Green Park. So we're surrounded by royal parks in this area of London. And the arch actually had a massive equestrian statue of the Duke of Wellington on top of it. Originally? Not originally, no. But is, that, is that Wellington on the top of this no, arch with no, all these horses? No, no, it isn't. Because the story is that this massive sculpture by Matthew Coates, it was always thought to be too big, but nobody wanted to take the sculpture down while the Duke was alive. 
because it was right outside his front door. And where after he died, lots of people petitioned for it to be taken down. There was all sorts of uh, derogatory marks about it. And um, there's a fabulous cartoon in the satirical magazine called Punch, where they show the Duke of Wellington's equestrian statue sort of visible above the skyline of London. It was a huge statue. They took it down and they uh, took it to Aldershot and it stands now just outside the military barracks. And then the arch was sort of empty for a while on top. And then by 1905, it was decided that this fabulous quadriga, so you have four, four horses pulling this chariot with a symbol of peace on it. And this is by the sculptor Adrian Jones. So by 1912, this was erected on top of the arch. And I believe it is, and we always say it is, the largest freestanding bronze sculpture in Europe. So to summarise, it was, it's called the Wellington Arch. It had Wellington on top originally. Yeah. He got moved to Aldershot. Yeah. That statue then got replaced with four horses and a symbol of peace. Yeah. And it's still called the Wellington Arch. It's still called the Wellington so that's Arch. that's something at least. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But it did become the smallest police station in London. So up until the 1980s, it was a sort of station for the police. If you see any old black and white pictures of this area, you'll see policemen directing the traffic. And they were all based at the Wellington Arch. And they also had the duty of opening and closing those massive gates when royal cars came through. So what we're looking at is not just a lump of rock and, and several columns with a statue on the top. It's actually a building. Yes, it is. You can go inside and it has four floors of exhibitions now. Can we go inside? Yeah, let's go inside. Now, where does this take us to? This takes us to the fourth floor, and then we can go out onto the balconies. Well, this is a real treat. Well, it would be if it was sunny, huh? <laughs> <laughs> this so... is a fantastic view. Well, you would never know this. <laughs> from where we were standing just before, which is almost right underneath where we're standing now. We're on this viewing platform on this wooden balcony with the stone parapets in yeah. front of us. And we've got a great view of Apsley House, the corner of Hyde Park, the entrance to Hyde Park. Yeah. What was St George's Hospital, which is now the Lanesborough Hotel? We've got a fabulous view of the Royal Artillery Memorial, which is a memorial that one of London memorials that is looked after by English Heritage, very famous memorial and then when we look over we see we can look down park lane the very busy park lane and we can see the the modern development the big hotel over there and we can see that apsley house is sort of by itself on its own little island and of course that was never the case you know it was at one time uh, attached to another house and attached to the rest of Piccadilly. So there was a row of houses. There was a row of houses, yes. And it was number one at the time. Yeah, and it was number one London. So the landscape around here is, has really changed. As the rain comes down onto your umbrella, Josephine, <laughs> we might have to wrap this up, I think. <laughs> but um, as we look at this great view of Apsley House, just behind the trees, the statue of the Duke of Wellington, it's a great place to come and work every day, I suppose. What, what is it like for you in your job here? It's great. I feel really privileged to work in such an important house. And also, from my point of view, the continuity of the fact that it's still a family house. I love that. Don't always enjoy the traffic, 
but I think the house is such a wonderful hidden gem and I think it's an amazing survival of an aristocratic townhouse. These kind of houses that used to be all over London and really Apsley House is the only surviving example of that. And it still sort of sits there in splendid isolation. There it is over there and people just don't appreciate what's inside it. You need to come and see Apsley House for yourself to appreciate how wonderful it is. You've been listening to the English Heritage Podcast. To find out more about the first Duke of Wellington's collection at Apsley House, you can find links through the English Heritage website. There you can also read about the history of the house and its most famous resident. We're back next week. Until then, don't forget to like, comment, share, subscribe, and give us a rating. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Hello, this is Josie Lung, here to tell you about Speaking With Shadows, a podcast series from English Heritage, presented by me. With the help of researchers and local community members, I'll bring you six stories from history that we should all be talking about. Subscribe to Speaking With Shadows, the podcast that listens to the people that history forgot, and get every episode delivered to your podcast feed for free. I can't wait for you to hear this show.